Rogers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Special final, JCM Jones from Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Joe Patrick from 90.9 and the game in Dirty South Soccer is over there. Kurt Castle on the intro of the song is Chances. Joe, we won, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, somehow that happened. Uh, that was that was a bit awesome, but also, I don't know. I, I have so many conflicting feelings about the game, to be, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it was going so poorly for so long until until it wasn't. So, you know, I think like I remember like my I just felt happy for everybody that was in the stadium that night. That's that's the way I left that game feeling that, about that's you. That's probably the right take. But but we're going to get to why I want to make this a positive podcast. This okay. show. Right. We're going to get to why in just a little bit. But first, some housekeeping things. We have an Anton Walks interview up on Patreon for patrons. Anton is wonderful. We are really glad we were able to, to get him on and just kind of hear him talk about why he came back to Atlanta it was probably one of the central themes of, of the interview. And it seems yeah. it's because he just really loves Atlanta, which is cool. Yeah, that was that it was really cool. And I would just yeah, just really recommend anybody obviously sign up for the Patreon. But you know, it it was an interest it was an it was an interview that is not like you would get most Anton Walks interviews. I feel like he was loose and just like, you know, open. I thought the most interesting thing that he talked about was the embarrassment of having a cramp. I thought that was an interesting <laughs> uh emotional mm-hmm. response to that that kind of injury. And completely fair. Completely fair. We also have a couple more interviews coming up this week as well. We're going to get Felipe on to talk about, of course, the article that, that shook the Atlanta United universe. The article. The article. Um, we've talked about it plenty elsewhere. Uh, we're not going to address it too much here. Plenty of stuff coming up on that throughout the year, the decade. I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, we're also going to get Sam Stage Girl on at some point to really dissect the roster salary releases that have come out uh, because since we are not bright enough to do so on our own we're going to bring in an expert to help us out with that check that out and check this out this is business time time joe patrick and i wanted to address the first piece of business which is why i want this to be a somewhat positive podcast we can at least start off on that. we can at least start <laughs> off with that because uh you know it's just it's just hard we, we have plenty of stuff to get to we have a ton of questions to get to as well y'all were eager to, to offer a lot of thoughts on this one which i think is interesting because me and joe were talking beforehand and, and said we didn't have really too many thoughts <laughs> on this one besides good win guys way to way to way to survive to the last instinct there um the reason i want to make this pod positive a positive podcast we have the old show sheet from last week up in front of me and joe has written out in the business time <laughs> section Atlanta United loses 1-1 on the road to Inter-Miami. 
That's right. They did not lose that game. They drew that game. Even has it right there. One, one. So but it was, I, emotionally, it was a loss. It was, <laughs> it, that's how it felt. That's how it felt. But maybe, maybe perhaps we're getting a little too cynical. So let's try and take some positives from a game where obviously the result came, maybe not in the way that we necessarily would have wanted. It was definitely maybe a fun way to do it. You know, I think that's definitely the loudest crowd pop in the country yeah. in the last yeah. 14 months. <laughs> right. Yeah. Considering the noise and everything like that, considering that we had 40,000 people there. That's pretty cool. That's a cool thing to be a part of. And what I want to take away from it is I want to look at something else that happened at 90 plus four this week. And you, you don't have to look too far. Uh, you just have to look across the pond to England and look at Allison Becker, oh the goalkeeper coming up and getting a header to, to keep Liverpool season alive right and scoring on that that's a miracle but why i want to bring why that is up. That, why does this stuff always happen to liverpool i feel like this stuff only and ever happens to liverpool sorry and this is exactly the point i want to make so since jurgen klopp has come in to the team liverpool by far have the most points from losing positions and one mm. of the first times maybe the first time they got a point from a losing position was like this shitty 2-2 draw with like West Brom and I think Divakari he scored late right and after the game and again a, a garbage 2-2 draw <laughs> they really shouldn't have been celebrating they went to the crowd they celebrated them they they acted like it was a, a big moment and people kind of continue to look back to that as a point where the team really kind of started to believe a little bit where the fans kind of started to believe a little bit and obviously it's gotten to the point now where you can have a goalkeeper come up and you Still think you have a chance and lo and behold, he's going to find a header for a 94th minute winner. Right. So what I'm saying, I'm not saying this is that, but I'm saying it could be is that when you get a winner like this under a new coach and when the team takes a lap afterward to just clap and celebrate the fans and everything like the team did, you can at least instill a sense of belief that Liverpool team that year was still pretty bad <laughs> for the rest of the year. Right. Yeah. But you do have to build that culture back. You do have to build a sense of belief back. And that is the positive I'm going to take away from this. Well, I have the perfect segue because I was just pulling some sound. We're going to actually play some Brad Guzan talking a lot about what you just mentioned, Sam. Uh, this was after the game. You know, we, we needed to, to, to stick with it, continue to, to push forward and, and, you know, believe that we're going to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, you know, it's no secret that that. You know, we, we we want to be scoring more goals and, and that hopefully will come. Uh, but sometimes, you know, games like this come and, and like I said, you've, you've got to find a way, whether it's 1-0 or or 5-0. Sometimes these 1-0 games, they, they, they leave a, a lasting impact on the group and, and hopefully tonight we'll do that. So, you know, I thought one of the biggest... Um you know, for 90 minutes or so, it was lots of Atlanta possession, passing, doing the whole build up thing, which we have learned from, you know, talking to Michael Parker's Bobby Boswell, all these guys, Jeff Lorenowitz, that they are just drilled on that constantly, or at least they were under Tata. And we have to imagine that it's somewhat similar under Gabriel Heinze right now where they're doing a that is the majority of what they're working on in training. And that's why that part of their game looks good, but it's not quite connected to, you know, a very potent attack right now. And I thought what was, you know, if being optimistic about the game, 
you know, I thought it was good that the team was able to change gears and was able to go a lot more direct in, in pushing for that goal. And the fact that they ended up getting the winner, I hope that that will serve again, like Brad Guzan was kind of saying that that will give them some sort of belief that that kind of style and that kind of ambition can translate into goals going forward so that, you know, at times when they are dominating possession like that, they, they don't have to wait till the 90th minute. They can choose their their chances to break out and try to make those more direct moves downfield to try to score goals. Yeah, let's talk about the last 10 minutes, because from about 80 minutes on, they seem to have, again, that directness, that intensity, literally everything they'd been missing for the entire game prior. It's like, I don't know what kicked in, but something kicked in that said, OK, now we mm-hmm. need to really go. And it's like they they stopped thinking so much. This team is thinking so much, it seems like, in transition moments and possession and all of those things. It seems like they are just making 30 decisions at once. It's like they all have Zeke Barco syndrome right now, right? <laughs> just attack the space, go for it, be direct, make things happen, play an early ball, make something happen. And I think a little bit has to do with the fact that Jake Mulraney came in. Exactly. And uh, came I in think on a fresh lot legs. Has to do with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And came in on fresh legs and really started to stretch things a little bit. And really tried to be direct. He, he was the best player for the 20 minutes he was in. That's easy yeah. to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jake Mulraney is exactly the kind of player that I think can thrive in that kind of role where he's coming on and in a situation where you need to score goals and you need somebody to be direct and, and try to move, move, progress the ball upfield quickly to link up with Joseph so that Joseph isn't trying to do it all by himself. And that's what we saw from him. I thought it was uh, not only was it a good change, but I think it, it could be something that uh, a role that fits Jake Mulraney quite nicely um, because, you know, he's been hit and miss when he's playing, when he's starting and playing, you know, 70, 80, 90 minutes. Um, but if you can just get those little spurts, because he is very effective when he feels that confidence to be able to go one on one. And I feel like when he's coming in in that role for 10 or 15 minutes in a game, that alone, I think, gives him the confidence that he's going on for a reason. He's going on to do what he does best. And I think that that's the way you get the best out of a player like that. Um, you know, I think that we saw something similar with Jurgen Dam as well uh, earlier in the season when he came on when Atlanta United was um, actually in a lead. I guess that was against Chicago and he was finding space time and time again. And, um, you know, I think that that's something that that can help these wingers. But I think that that what I'm, I guess what I'm more generally worried about is where what, what wingers are we using for the other <laughs> 70, 80, 90 minutes? <laughs> um, but, you know, no, I, I mean, I think I do think that that was uh, a real uh, kind of confidence booster, morale booster for the team, obviously. And I think that for tactically, it also will kind of boost some of these guys to, to kind of understand um, where they feel like they can be effective on the field. You have to hope you have to hope they have a week before Seattle and uh I don't know if y'all seen Seattle Yikes. yet, but but good luck. Good luck to it's everyone involved. <laughs> I, I the, the genuine hope here is that all of the confidence that that perhaps came from a one nothing win doesn't disappear immediately when Brad Smith scores like four times from left back. <laughs> right. Could be a rough one, but hopefully maybe they go up there and give him a fight. We'll see. We'll see. You talk about the wingers, though. And Joe, are, are you telling me that one point six million dollar winger Jurgen Dom? Isn't the solution right now? Ooh, man. You know, we're going to talk to Felipe, obviously, later this week. And I think it will be really interesting to to add in this piece of context to the whole, you know, a lot of this, like, criticism of Carlos Bocanegra and players that have been brought in and things like that. But then to have this added piece of context as to the salaries that they're being brought in at, and the it gives you more 
um, gives you again, it gives you more context on the way that this team was constructed. And like it gives you some insight into how the team was thinking and evaluating certain players. And yeah, that's going to that's got to be one of the the more outrageous um, salary spends in the league. I mean, I know they got them on a free transfer, so it's not like they're paying a transfer fee on top of that salary. And, and players that move without a transfer fee are always going to earn more in salary uh, typically. But wow. I mean, that that one was a shocker to see when it came out. Yeah, for those of you that haven't seen, the MLSPA released every single salary for every single player in MLS for the first time since 2019. It had been like a year and a half, I think. So it was kind of like Christmas for for some of the roster nerds in MLS world. Uh, but yeah, so, some interesting things there for sure. You have Dom on 1.6 million. You have Brad Gazan, who, as you know, our feelings on and the analytics feelings on him is maybe not worth $800,000 to play keeper at a average or below average level, you know, things like that. There's a lot to kind of unpack here. Yeah. And again, I'll, you know, I got to caveat this every time we talk about contracts, but mm-hmm. not against the players. I want every player to make as much money as Absolutely. they can possibly earn. You know, it's not their fault that they, that it's this situation that the league is structured in a way where you have to try to figure out a way to maximize the amount of production you get back for the amount of spend that you put in. But um, that's just the way it is. And, you know, I do wonder, I think that there's even more of a spotlight on this sometimes, but the way that the salaries are dumped out where it's all at once. So then there's, it becomes a big story around the league. And maybe it means that it burns hotter for a short amount of time. And then everybody kind of forgets about it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I never forget. <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, like in other sports, like when, when, when an NFL team signs somebody, it's like, okay, they signed them for three years for $20 million. And so, you just know that straight up off the bat and that kind of, you know, goes into your brain as a piece of the puzzle as to how the team is being built, as opposed to in, in MLS. You don't know that. And I get it. I get the reason why for competitive reasons uh, it makes sense. But regardless, you know, you're getting all this information dumped on, on you at one time. And I love it. I think it's very interesting to kind of go through and digest. And, and again, it gives you context on how the team's not just Atlanta United, but other teams were built. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll have plenty to, to say on this uh, in the coming weeks, I'm sure. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. It does come all at once. This huge wave of information, especially when we don't know for like a year and a half what that looks like. It kind of was not one. A, there was not one salary guide last year. You're, yeah. Usually there's two per year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it, it, honestly, it confirmed a lot of fears that we might have had, I yeah. think, about how this team <laughs> is constructed. And of course, coming on the heels of Felipe Cardenas' article in The Athletic, which if you haven't, if you're listening to this show and you haven't read that or heard about it at this point, I'm, I'm genuinely shocked. Please go find it. I don't think we need to explain too much about it. But coming on the heels of that and considering where the general what the general timbre is of the feelings towards the front office right now coming off the heels of that. It was maybe not the one two punch they were hoping to, to hear about this week for sure. For sure. It kind of piles on just a little bit. We're going to unpack all that a lot more though. Again, that's on the Patreon. We're going to interview Sam stage call who of allocation disorder and the athletic, they, him and Paulson Oreo go super, super in depth with this stuff. They're going to have a better understanding of exactly what it means that Brad Kazan is, on $800,000, but no transfer fee and, and things like that. We'll get into it more. We're also going to go ahead and get into your questions because y'all had a lot after this quick break. And before we get back into the show, did just want to shout out once again, our partners at Lucid FC 
for bringing you this episode of Five Stripe Final. They've got a new shop out um, in Buckhead. It's right behind the Whole Foods there. Uh, the address is 3209 Paces Ferry Place Northwest, if you want to write that down or Google it or whatever. But I cannot wait to see what they get done there because I think that that shop is going to be um, experiential, to say the least. These guys are really creative, and uh, I think that it will be more than just a, a place to sell clothes. So that would be really cool. But you can obviously also order from them online at lucidfc.us. They've got their new spring-summer 2021 collection out now, uh, which you can buy right now online called This is a Modern World. It's really cool stuff. The collection brings nostalgic, psychedelic party nights of the past to the new modern lifestyle. Uh, I've checked it out on, on their shop. It looks really cool. The products on this line will be sold exclusively to directly to you on the Lucid FC website. That's where you get it. Uh, they've got unisex sizes from extra small to extra extra large, and uh, price points from eight dollars to three hundred and eighty dollars. So there's something in there for everybody, uh, and it has just launched, and it's really cool. Definitely would recommend everybody go check out uh, LucidFC.us and maybe pick up yourself some uh, some modern world clothes. Wow, what a break! An amazing break, the best break ever. Literally no break ever, ever like it, never before. As long as it wasn't that one where the sirens go in the background, I guess it was a pretty incredible break, to be totally <laughs> honest. Y'all had a bunch of questions. We're going to try to get to every single one of them as best we can. Like I said, though, there are a lot. We, we tried to organize these as best we can. There were uh, like three kind of themes that kept popping up, and y'all wanted to... One, though, about certain players, especially on the wing, Y'all wanted to know about the tactics of Gabriel Lainze and whether or not they're actually working. And y'all wanted to know about future acquisitions for Atlanta United, uh, considering that everyone seemed to be complaining about the, the players on the wings, which we have to, which we <laughs> have to. Right. So we'll start with that first one. We'll kind of go with this first one from Jonathan, who asked less minus a stoppage time game winner. How close are you to feeling like this has been very FDB like to start? I wanted to start with this question just to again, reiterate that this is, this is not felt FDB ish. Not to me, not personally. I have way more confidence right now. I don't know about you. I understand why people say that because you know, the, when you look at the possession numbers, the lack of goals, you, you can make, you can easily kind of draw that line, but you know, to me, it is much different for a couple of reasons. One is just my general sense of the style. When you look at it on the field, the passing is more intricate. There's more definitive trained movements going on as to where under the FDB early in the FDB regime, it was a lot of players not really moving around a ton, just like a lot of kind of standing still. Um, and that was that was worrisome. But this feels different, you know, just because of the player movements and the way that it looks. I would also say that one of the things I remember from early in the FDB uh, tenure was players looking very frustrated on the field, like Joseph Martinez getting really mad at the team getting too stretched and like he would press and then other other players aren't pressing. And then you have big gaps and and players really getting visibly frustrated on the field. And I don't see that from this team. Like I, I see a team that is generally compact and feels like they are working together it's just a matter of being able to kind of break out of that middle third of the field and being able to find find success in the final third i think you bring up a good point and that the frustration with fdb wasn't just tactically it was culturally as well and you could kind of see that in the body language like you really could and of course everything that's come out now we understand that that cultural shift was extremely jarring this doesn't feel like that for a couple of reasons one i'm I honestly just think Einze is a better man manager, you know, 
I won't elaborate too much more on that, but <laughs> you get the gist. Um, and secondly, this is just a young team. This is not the team that has had to be torn down brick by brick, right? This is the team that had basically the foundation yep. and nothing else, right? And it's a bunch of kids for the most part. It's, it's weird to think about how young a lot of these guys are. I Still know. a lot of 19 and 22-year-olds out there for Atlanta United, but it's easier to kind of imprint yourself on that there are still pieces that needed to be added but you know the, the foundation is there and they at least aren't hating every second and you know i don't know walking off the field during practices or anything like that seems to be better in my opinion right yeah for sure and i would just reiterate yeah the age of the players is is quite striking i'm just looking up something right now yeah so like machop chole he's 22 uh, I think that Santiago Sosa is also 22. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Franco Ibarra is the age that you would expect like an academy player. So the and granted, those players have a lot more just experience at a higher level in their careers at this point. But still, they're young and they're still learning their own craft and learning learning the game. So uh, definitely something worth worth keeping in mind with this team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone's going to add us about like Zeke now. But like <laughs> yeah. also Zeke has been playing in this team for three years and we kind of yeah. know what that is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Allison asked uh, just to kind of continue with this thing a little bit. Are there any positives besides the result to take from this game? Right. Um, and I think taking out the stuff we kind of talked in the first part of the positive podcast. Maybe not. <laughs> um, it was pretty awful, to be totally yeah. honest, for for a large section of that. Lots of me and Joe like looking at each other and just laughing <laughs> as like, I don't know, someone plays a pass that wasn't even within 15 yards of where it should be. I uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually I don't think I sent a, a single tweet out during the game because I just didn't feel like there was anything worth commenting on. Honestly, it was like it was just. <laughs> Pretty much. But after the game, I did kind of I gave Miles Robinson a shout out. I thought he was kind of sneaky good, especially on the ball. I felt like Atlanta's best stuff, Atlanta's best attacks. First of all, the best attacks came when they quickly countered after winning the ball back. Um, Sometimes they did not do that as well as they could have. Like they just turn around and passed it backwards instead of trying to go for goal, which is a whole nother thing. But the times where they did create some opportunities out of their own buildup, I thought the best chances came when Miles Robinson was finding either Joseph Martinez or one of the wingers with a direct pass on the ground centrally that was just bypassing the midfield. And I feel like that's generally, I think, what this buildup, um, what this possession needs to turn into for Atlanta United. It do, you don't, I don't think you really want like Emerson, the ball, always moving through Emerson Hyman or through you know another central midfielder there. I think that oftentimes when you can deliver the ball straight to Joseph Martinez and then he can play it back to one of those central midfielders and make a run. It just, it just creates a lot more um, dynamism and, and what you can do in, in the attack when you, when you make that outlet. So I, I thought that, that I thought that miles Robinson was, was pretty good. One of the things we talked a lot about when this team, when Gabriel Lanza was first hired was that this team was going to try and play a lot of line breaking passes, especially from spots like center back, right? And mm-hmm. the Velez teams were very successful at that. You can kind of see that in the highlights of their best goals. But the, the thing that is positive about line breaking pass is that it unsettles the rest of the lines, right? Like at, at that point, when you get through a line of defense, you have another one having to react to that, right? But it mm-hmm. only works if when you do it, you actually try and make something happen afterward, right? So right. even if Miles right. is, is finding... Those passes, what's frustrating is seeing folks sit on those passes 
right? And not do anything with it, not turn, not to tax base, not play balls over the top or anything like that to, or through, you know, they, they went over the top a lot uh, against Montreal and didn't quite work out, but playing those balls and doing those things that make the defense really have to react and, and be scrambled a little bit once those line breaking passes happen. That, that's kind of the next step, I think, right? If they can figure out how to get those passes, got to make something happen afterward, right? Which should theoretically be somewhat easy. You just got to do it. Yeah, I think Joseph Martinez is athletically looking better and better every single game. And I think that as that comes back, I think a lot of like the movements that he wants to make and the way that he can help instruct his teammates on those moves will really kind of help the attack get going. Um, So hopefully that does kind of come come to fruition here in the next month or so. We'll see. We'll see. You guys had a lot of questions about just general personnel. And we'll start with this one from C Black, who asked, what do you make of ASA's goals, added rankings of Atlanta players? Lyndon Moreno are our most goal dangerous players, but curiously, Heinemann is our least goal dangerous player. Is that a function of the role he's been asked to play or something else? Um, I'm not sure, like, how curious that necessarily is. Let's talk about Emerson, though. Um, I mean it's maybe not curious that he isn't super goal dangerous um, and goals added does kind of shy away from folks in the midfield who maybe aren't extremely progressive sometimes. Like it, yeah. it'll just go after folks like even Lucas Elorian who loses possession a lot, or it'll go after Nagby, Darlington who, Nagby. who yeah. doesn't, you know, uh, progress the ball a lot. So maybe that's a reason for it. Also keep in mind, it's a small sample size. Um, I can hear Teodal football screaming at us in his car as he sits in the cookout parking lot right now. But um, we're doing our best to explain this. And it's I'm glad you all are looking at things like that to maybe understand um, who's being effective or not. But it does bring up a question that I think everyone is asking and wondering in their mind right now. Is Marcelino Marcelino Marino good? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He is second and goals added on this team right now. Again, Brooks is first. Miles is right behind him. That's usually a, a decent way to kind of assess value for a team. Go to AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com to check all that out and get a further understanding of how that all works because I can't explain it off the top of my head in a concise way. But I don't know, man. He gets the goal. He got so, a goal. He scored. Yeah, he did. Um I did not have him rated highly, though, until that goal came in. I think somebody asked this on Twitter. Somebody said, like, how what did your ratings look like before the result came in? And honestly, like I publish it so quickly after the game. I try to get in as soon as I can. Um, I didn't make many changes, but I did tick Bello up one for his his play. And then I ticked up Moreno, too, for that goal, just because it was so big. But I just generally thought he was pretty, pretty poor on the night. But he gets hacked down a lot as similar to Barco. Um, it's like the same kind of thing where it's frustrating because it seems like the ball stops a lot when it gets to, to Moreno, even though he's trying to take players on, it will be either be like a foul or a giveaway or something, you know? So um, I don't know. Like, I feel like I've continually ranked him or rated him pretty low, like on the lower side. I felt like his, many of his performances have been below average uh, so far this season, but then, yeah, you go and look at the goal plus and he's honestly rated some of the highest on the team. And I, I don't know if that's in due, due to, um, yeah, the, the amount of times he's taking players on or what it is. I'd be interested if Teoto Football could please tweet something this afternoon to explain maybe <laughs> why uh, why these ratings are coming in the way they are. That would be helpful because I don't quite fully understand it either. I've always taken the mindset that whether it's Golf Plus or XG or whatever kind of advanced analytic uh, we're talking about, 
I still feel like if you watched a full game with your own two with your with your two eyes and you weren't completely blacked out, then you have a general sense of who was good and who was not like you have. I feel like you have a better overall take on the game because you're taking in everything. You're taking in the tactics, you're taking in the other team, um, you're taking in everything all at once as opposed to, you know, breaking things down on a granular level and then trying to compute out a score. I think that these these metrics are very, very helpful for more longer term, larger sample size um, observations. You know, when you can't theoretically take all the information that you watch from one game and use, you know, put take 10, 15, 20 games and put all that information together and spit out something that's um, that's accurate. So I think that that's where those come in. So, you know, who knows why, why, why they rank those players the way they do the gold plus. As always, qualitative data is, is still data. You know, you, yeah. you kind of have to use them in concert. Right. Um, and I know exactly what T.O. football is going to say about Moreno's G plus being so high. His fouling statistic. I don't know. How, uh, tier is, is very high for for some reason. And really, that doesn't mean a whole lot. That may have something to do with the penalty he won against New England. I don't really know. I don't really mm-hmm. know. T.F. Get at us. We had more qualitative questions about players. And again, it was a lot about the wingers, a lot about Jake Moraney and his appearance. Jake asked, how do you see Dom's role evolving? Also, Moraney is thriving in the system, right? Tony asked, should we sleep on Moraney or could he be a dude? And Chris asked, assuming everyone is healthy, who do you want starting at right wing? Dom for speed, Moraney for the ability to actually play soccer or Lennon for both of those, but then not having a good right back. Um, all fair questions. Uh, we'll start with Jake's and I just kind of want to address this first, right? How do we see Jurgen Dom's role evolving? Man, we got a lot of data points on Jurgen Dom at this point. I think his role is just what it is, right? Like he is the fast guy. Yeah, that's it. That's the way he's been for, for years and years now. Like, I don't think anything else is going to change about how he's used or how teams try to use him or if he's going to even change how he himself tries to play that's just kind of is what it is right yeah and again (laughs) you (laughs) it's like okay obviously gabriel heinze is not going to be picking players based off of their wages right but if you pay someone 1.6 million dollars for a year like you're you need if you're if you want the team to be good and to score lots of goals like you need production from that money and so when you when I look when I compare him to somebody like Jake Mulraney like Jake Mulraney is the perfect kind of depth piece that good MLS teams need um I don't think that Jake Mulraney is like a a a a a a starting winger for a team that has MLS cup aspirations he can be an MLS he could absolutely be a key player a, a key role player for an MLS cup team but there's a big difference in between those two and so um that's kind of how I see it and I and uh, when it comes to Jurgen Dam, I mean I hope that he can be as effective as he can with his speed but I just feel like he's a one trick you know it's a it's a one trick thing and once maybe it catches some teams out early in the season here obviously Chicago struggled to to deal with it and I do think that if Atlanta has a lead and other teams are chasing uh, goals he can be very effective but again that's more like you're he, he can be most effective in situations where the team is already in an advantageous position um which is you know not not great <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm it's it's kind of demoralizing honestly when i think about the situation more and more you can what, what do you what, how, how are you feeling about nah, it you took the words right out of my mouth he's, he's a depth guy he's a guy that would be great to have as a backup 
right? Yeah. As a guy coming in, he's he's solid there. Um, he's just good. He's just kind of there, he, but he's not what you would want for a team like Atlanta United, who has what the third highest wage bill in MLS. It's either the third or for, fourth. I can't remember. And and for Mulraney's price, I think he's making like three hundred thousand or something, which is like perfect. that. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like that is that is perfectly solid. That is exactly what you want. That is good you know, efficiency in terms of the money that you're spending for what you're getting back. Did but it see? plays into the context of the rest of the team in this case. I, I think John Gallagher is making less. I don't, yeah. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> anyway. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, Zach brings up a question about the same kind of scenario. And he asked, do they really miss Dom and Barco this much? Dom's final ball is all over the place, but he's very aggressive. Moreno takes too long to make decisions to play. In the center, and Ibarra isn't a creator, trying to decide how much criticism Heinze is due. I want to talk about Ibarra first because hell no, he ain't a creator. Who's got time for <laughs> yeah, that? <no. laughs> Who's got time for that? When you have one goal in life, which is to ruin the dude in front of you, right? None of this artsy shit. Get the hell out of here. Ain't a creator. <laughs> No, Barrio plays murder ball, and I love him. <laughs> I just love him. I don't know. That's, that's all I got. He he's young and he he wants blood. It's beautiful. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Totally agree. I, I mean, I, I love Abara's uh, his versatility is really really handy. The fact that he can play in midfield, or he can play right back, he can play well, maybe left back. We'll see. He's been put there before, and he didn't have a he didn't have such a great stretch. But again, young player you can mold into, and he's kind of like the perfect kind of moldable player where he has these kinds of abilities that are you know he's got the kind of tenacity and the technical ability uh at the core that you want to see and then you can kind of mold him into whatever kind of player you want him to become and i think that he has the perfect opportunity to do that under under heinze yeah we don't know too much about him yet we're going to continue to learn more about him how he kind of fits into this system but do want to get back to zach's first thing um do they really miss dom and barco this much and i'm glad he phrased it like this because i said after the game like oh man someone's gonna add us and say that like if zeke is there then this team is gonna be so much better and everything which i mean technically they're improved right if zeke is in the lineup they're improved can you rely on that at all at this point no you can't right exactly yeah you can't yeah, yeah it's exactly i mean you said it in the press box to me because i was i was saying i was like you know they you got to take into account that they're missing barco but yeah it's like he's missed what like Half the half his Atlanta United games. I think it's like over half. Yeah, God, something like that. He started like forty three out of like ninety seven. Now I think is what yeah. it is, which is a shame. I mean, you know, and I wish we had more detail as to like what his injuries specifically have been. I Whatever. know he had a knee at one point in twenty eighteen. Um, but if he if he if he keeps, and I would say also the same for Dam as well. Like he's all had already had two muscle strains i think since joining last year he had one not long after joining the team in 2020 and then already one this year i and as a sprinter you know that's worrisome for me because you know he's i think he's just going to be prone to that kind of stuff so do they miss them will they be a better team with those two players yes of course um but yeah i totally agree with what you said there you go there you go Jake kind of hits at the heart of the matter and asks, do you see improvement from game one out of Wednesday? MLS is weird. I get that. Uh, we don't really need all W's out of the gate, but feels like we had a huge step forward in that first half versus Philly. 
and haven't been able to replicate it since. And that's something I've been thinking about. Like obviously Zeke and Jurgen were were in for that, right? And that still is the best half they've played under INSA so far, which I, I think gets back to our point that like, yes, they are better with, with Barco and Dam. I, I don't disagree with that. It's just you mm-hmm. can't really rely on it at this point. Um, I, I don't quite know how they get back to replicating that first half against Philly, though. It, it seems like almost a flash in the pan at this point. Hopefully it comes back, but it's going to take a second to get back to that consistently. Um, yeah. Maybe they do it against Sounders. Maybe they bring the intensity in a game they know is big. Maybe that's yeah, just the, it. I don't know. The thing that the thing that always comes to mind when I think about that 50 minutes against the Philadelphia Union is the way that the team pressed in that period mm-hmm. and the way they just kept on winning the ball back. And I do think that that's where Barco would make a big difference because this year I really do feel like his strongest his his best ability that he's shown is his pressing and and winning the ball and being really sharp in those instances. I think he's I think he came into the season as fit as he's been since I've seen him at Atlanta United, which is a good sign. I think that that's one of the things that helps him want to be eager to 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 do those pressing movements. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the next step. And we didn't really see it. I thought we would see a more intense pressing and counter pressing um, against Montreal. They ended up having so much possession that it wasn't really like um, I don't know if needed is the right word, but. Anyway, we didn't just didn't really see it as as much as I thought we would. And I think that that's really what honestly will provide a lot of the offense for this team as well. It's like when you're winning the ball high up the field, you're going to create really good opportunities for yourself that you don't have to create through a lot of intricate build up. And that's especially I think an MLS with the just the general talent, the mm-hmm. quality of talent with the players. I think that that is, you know, a huge, huge aspect of the game. And I think that that will be the next step for this team. That'll help. It'll also help if when they get any transition moment to, to actually get some speed behind it, which brings us to our questions from from Tata Ibarco's Taco Barco and Christian, who both basically asked, why are things so slow? Why, why is this like this? How far away are we from seeing this team executing the way the system is intended to be executed? And I don't know necessarily the answer to that. We've talked a bit before about how now that we're on a normal schedule uh, with a little bit of rest, with a little bit more time to get into training, things should theoretically continue to improve, right? That they, they better, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think the reason it's slow is because, again, they just aren't making decisions quickly enough or maybe are making decisions in general. They need to just kind of act and not worry about choosing the right thing, you know, and I think that comes with time. It should, right? Yeah, you know, it was interesting in this particular game to watch Brooks Lennon, who seemed like the only one who was like really adamant about making those runs. He was like pointing into space and he was making the runs quite often. And the space was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they weren't always able to, to pick out the timing and, and get that right. But I do think that the space was there. And I think that part of it comes down to just players having the confidence to you know, maybe feel like they're defying what the manager, you know, like what they've been drilled on so hard during the week and just try to like go rogue and, you know, make something (laughs) happen. But I think that honestly they could use that. I mean, I think that that's the right kind of mentality to have, especially in a game situation where it's like, you just, you gotta, it's not, you're not getting graded on like a, on a training score. It's like, you gotta, you know, score goals. And so um, hopefully we start to see more of that. And again, going back to what we were talking about early in the show with the team, just generally kind of, switching and and going more direct in those last 10 minutes hopefully that you know i I would hope that that gives the team some sort of idea as to like okay if we if we can play like this it it can it can 
give us the rewards that we're looking for. So maybe it's worth doing that more often. And again, we saw it in the last 10, 15 minutes of this one, right? Like, and it yeah. worked uh, ho- again, hopefully that's the confidence boost they need to, to at least attempt it. Right. Again, I'm still not sure the personnel is there to, to make things happen when they do start to effectively execute, but more things will happen, right? Maybe not all the things, but more things, it'll get better. It'll get better. You have to hope anyway. It doesn't help though. when the other team is putting together a, a tactical masterclass, Joe Patrick, <laughs> uh, Gabby Heinze and, and C black ask about this, but Gabby Heinze was highly, uh, lots of praise for, for Wilfred yeah. Nancy's tactical setup. And this one said that he hoped everyone recognized how, how beautiful it was and everything like that. What a great tactical battle it is. Things such as that. We all kind of looked at each other and went, Really? <laughs> and again, Gabby Einze going to have a way better eye for this kind of thing than, than anyone sitting in a press box. Right. You have to imagine. But I don't know, man. I didn't I I didn't pick up on it. Well, I mean, you were telling you were telling us like before coming into the game, you know, that Montreal is not a team to sleep on anymore. I mean, maybe they maybe they have been kind in the of. past, but yeah, you were. <laughs> but I mean, they nah. it was an impressive. It was, I mean, impressive win two nothing win on the road against Miami. You know, like the results haven't been bad. I think that Montreal is actually a pretty good team. I don't know where they're going to fall in the two to twenty five range of the MLS power rankings but uh, roll some dice and you'll be as if, close as you is like anything else at this point we have no idea what we're doing good to know good to know uh but yeah i mean i i hope they're good i hope they're very good and that uh that eleni united just got a result against a very good team but no i, I don't know i couldn't tell you enough I, I wasn't really like watching them with a kind of critical eye to tell you what how good they are exactly it did it seemed like they had like a shell essentially it was like it was like a shell and they were just like protecting that central part uh, area of the pitch. Um, and, and they were just forcing Atlanta wide in, in all instances. Yeah. Forcing a lot of wide long balls over the top. And again, sometimes they just didn't find the mark. Sometimes they just flat out ignored Brooks Lennon, who would have had a ton of space if they had picked him out. And again, the furious pointing from Brooks Lennon was legitimate. We weren't kidding about that. That's not a bit. He was like literally <laughs> pointing at the space, begging for the ball. At certain points, but I think the most concerning thing about the tactical setup for me for Montreal was how high they felt comfortable going up the pitch. Can you imagine in like 2018 or even 2017, a team pressing that high up the field against yeah. Atlanta United that isn't Red Bulls? They, they were in a mid block and they still were had in the mid block, yeah. like high, high up the field because there's no threat at all for Atlanta to, to get in behind at this yep. point. They would have gotten thrashed in 2017 2018 that's where that's where tito and gressel would just feast on in those kinds of games Mm -hmm. um you know playing the ball wide in those channels where there's the space in behind and then finding cutbacks from to joseph or almiron or whoever yeah that that would have been dangerous and that again that's like it feels like that's what this team is missing is those that pressure on those um those half spaces and those channels uh, in the wide areas. They're just not quite able to get the ball into those positions as, as often as maybe they were uh, previously. Yeah. I will say, I think that Gabby Heinz's comments were genuine. I don't think like he's blowing smoke up anybody's rear or anything like that. He seemed really, really impressed and, and fair play to Wilfred Nancy. Who's done a very good job taking over for Thierry Henri in Montreal. We had a few more questions and the kind of just back to the personnel territory. And we'll start this one from Parker, who says, any chance Joseph scores in Seattle and screams at Darren and Bocanegra? And he ends up running the team again. 
Um, Parker this is, is obviously in, to, in reference yes. to in 2019 when he scored, and I, Felipe had an article about how he was yelling at the team to. Yelled at Frank specifically, I think, yeah. for celebrating yeah. the, these. Oh, goals that's right, that for scored. celebrating the tying goal. Yeah, and then the team shifted to to the formation they had ran last year and started playing a little more open, and they nearly made it to the MLS Cup if it weren't for Nick DeLeon. So, um, obviously, a lot coming out the last week about personnel decisions, about roster decisions. So much of it focused on on Carlos's decisions as well. Right. Um, so I get where Parker's coming from. Car- Parker is obviously being Parker there. But um, yeah, no, that's the big question right now, which leads us to a couple of things from Logan and Will, who are basically asking in different ways, what type of player are we looking for? Which I feel like is something that we kind of continually get asked. But what what is the mold of player, whether that be domestic or abroad, that Atlanta is looking for? Is it tactic space? Is it? market base is age based what what exactly is the profile here i mean i think you need somebody that's going to help you score goals first of all so like you have to identify right. what you're trying to solve and so that's what you need so you already have a striker who helps you do that and joseph martinez so check that box and i think the next one down is an attacking dynamic winger that can play that one can play also could play at striker if you need whether it's with joseph late in a game to chase a goal or uh, or in place of Joseph to give him a break. But I also just think like you need that that dynamism. It's, it's exactly what we've been talking about through most of the show with what kind of Jurgen Dam and, and Jake Mulraney maybe lack uh, is just like that technical ability to take a, a fullback on one on one and just create something, you know, create some havoc, create some danger. And I think that that's that's what they need. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of alluding to Tito Vialba. I would say that, they, that is kind of like the, the profile player that they need. I, I wouldn't say Tito specifically, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I think what I want to add to this and to really talk about the profile of it is that for this one, I don't think there necessarily needs to be a profile. You have a team full of young guys that are ready to be sold and everything like that. Right. At this point. Get someone in that, that's going to get the job done, whether that's, you know, someone who's older, someone who doesn't fit the profile that we've yep. kind of seen from this team. Right. Like y- you have enough of that basic profile. Right. Um, if that has to be someone who's 28, 29, but still has the legs and still has the ability to make something happen. I think you you go ahead and do that in a year where you really desperately need that and you desperately you know maybe not desperately but you you want to have that as fans return to stadium to have a team that's going to draw folks in still and and still provide the entertainment value that you want from an Atlanta United team I think you you take that risk in a way that we haven't seen Atlanta team do before yeah I never really obsess over like that what age of player they need to get because that I feel like that's always going to be something that the front office is more preoccupied with in terms of maybe an age that lets them you know slide a dp in at a at a better uh price on the salary budget or whatever sell on reasons i just want i always just want the best player like whoever's going to provide the most so i'm totally with you that um if it's an older player then you know go after that player in my opinion like i it's not it's not my money <laughs> so right. i just want to see the the best team on the field as possible Exactly. Exactly. And theoretically, I've said that a bunch. I've said theoretically a bunch today, and I apologize for that. But we are doing a lot of um, hypothesizing here. But, you know, you could we could see this team make some really, really big moves in the summer. Right. They could. Yeah. And, and you're going to have a lot of money to play with at that point. Hopefully. And, you know, you can you can take those 
maybe a little more risk, I guess, with that, with with going for a player that you're not going to be able to, to sell on and, and recoup some cost. I would think. I would think if they if they do clear a DP spot, that decision or that whoever they sign to fill that DP role will probably be the most important decision this team has made in the last like year at least um and will definitely like kind of set the course for what this team can do you know while during gabriel Einze's tenure i think and all considered it'd be interesting to know and we may never know or we may know three years from now exactly how much input gabby's gonna have into that because obviously um frank really didn't have any input tata had some input which led to some issues in the front office it'll be interesting to know what they've kind of learned from those two coaches and having those two people in the front office and how they conduct these next few searches, um, especially again with Paul McDonough back as well too. So that there are a whole mm-hmm. lot of variables there that are going to make this a massive, massive choice for, for the front office right now. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how much pressure is even applied on them to do such a thing. Now that this stuff has come out uh, kind of a lot to get there. We'll see. We'll see. I want to get to this last one because I think it's really fun. We'll do it quickly, though, and we'll kind of alter it. Ryan McManus asked, rank the following Lady United players in terms of how effective a full team of their clones would be a la an all Lorenowitz 11. I think I did a piece on that forever ago and ran it through FIFA a few times and it was a disaster. Don't do an all Lorenowitz <laughs> 11. I think I got fired in October. That's what happened. Um, so players we will pick the team we think would be the best here because I just want to know. Um, Jurgen Dom, Ezekiel Barco, Jake Moraney, Emerson Heinemann, Marcelino Marino, Brooks Lennon, and Cuba Torres. Of all those guys, <laughs> yeah, I was I the same exact reaction to that. <laughs> who, <laughs> who would be the best team of themselves? And I think like you kind of have to look at who's going to have the most all-around attributes. And yeah. it's probably this is basically Brooks, a question right? of like who are the mo- who's the most versatile player of these. It, yeah, and it, that's what I would say. I would it, say Brooks. It's Brooks, right? Brooks is also going to give you like a high effort. Bro- Holy yeah. shit! It's Red Bulls. If you put Brooks Lennon in all <laughs> yeah, 11 yeah, Brooks much. Lennon team, yep, yep. it is the Red Bulls. Holy yeah. crap. Alex um, Mule is Brooks Lennon. Al- uh, Danny Royer to, is Brooks yeah, Lennon. Danny Royer. Patrick yep, exactly. Brian yes. White is Brooks like all. Of, they're all Brooks Lennon. Every single one of them. Shoot, That's totally Drew true. Yearwood is Brooks Lennon. Um, do, you have any, do you have any hot takes on who maybe one other player you would say, like the next best? Um, I would probably say I would probably still say Barco just because yeah. of the technical ability. I mean, defensively, it would be a mess. You would have to get the same kind of pressure you get you're getting from him early this season. But my absolutely broken brain would love to see the the Jurgen Dom one though, just because of all the speed <laughs> yeah. all over the place. Yeah. It's like tons such of recovery speed at center back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It'd be the worst <laughs> position team. It would be. It might just end up being total football accidentally because no one like knows where to be, right? So they're just running full speed. And at that point, you're covering a lot of ground. It may redefine the sport as we know it. What may redefine five-strike final and me and Joe's relationship as we know it is this segment of Rapid Fire. Nick asked, did Joe enjoy his birthday? Did Sam get Joe an acceptable present? Joe, I got you Rapid Fire. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I did enjoy my birthday. You know, it was nice just being totally Rapid offline. Fire. I was like not Rapid on my phone. And so, yeah. Rapid but I generally fire. don't like birthdays. Rapid arbitrary. Rapid fire. Ta- arbitrary time t- takes for the sun to go earth Fucking to go around hell. the sun. Are you done? I'm done. Happy birthday. I love you. Thank you. 
Tatari Barco's Taco Barco um, says that now that we are full capacity with no mask for the common folk, how far out are the press from returning to practice? Joe Patrick, I saw Julia Poe uh, tweet that she was at Orlando doing in-person interviews very, very recently. So that's exciting. I will say that teams are, or not teams, media are allowed to get B-roll now. Uh, so that's a step mm-hmm. forward. We're moving in the yeah. right direction. We're getting there soon. Um, John asks, uh, luckier five stripes or scousers. Joe, you want to take a swig at this? Uh, Liverpool is the luckiest <laughs> team I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Alexandria asks, why are the players unwilling to take? Folks, on, it's a very good question. I kind of wish we had a little more time to address it, but it kind of goes back to, again, they just don't have the... They're, again, making too many decisions at once. It seems like everyone is at this point. Just just go for it. Be be a little brave. Be a little yeah. brave. Which I would say th- they're second-guessing themselves. That would be like yeah. my thing. Exactly. Exactly. But hopefully that confidence thing. Again, confidence. Confidence, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Stamper asks, what's more likely? Uh, we somehow come away with a point against Seattle, or we score four goals against literally anyone sometime this season and my answer to that is that chicago and cincinnati both exist and are both in yeah. the eastern conference <laughs> i was gonna say definitely the latter i i, I think atlanta will definitely score four goals against an opponent they did opponents, didn't probably. they do it last year against like dc out of nowhere right was it four or did they yeah score? maybe maybe it was four i don't know i blocked that year out john asked we are more than halfway through may and no third kit news where are they uh darren said those would come in the summer i took that to mean like june i think june actually maybe pablo mar reported that it was june i can't remember it's coming in soon though keep sure. an eye out keep an eye out i'm interested i'm interested to see what those look like um niall asked does atlanta united need to sign a player capable of scoring double digit goals because we can't afford to rely on joseph when he's trying to recover from his injury uh yes mm-hmm yeah, that's exactly what we talked about with the DPS. Yep. Bob asks, "Will Paul Rudd ever drive on the spike as Celery Man?" I I think that's a Tim and Eric bit. I'm not entirely sure. I'm hopeful for one that that Paul Rudd drives on the spike as Andy Fleckner from Wet Hot American Summer. That'd be <laughs> that'd be my choice. Uh, Gersessa asks, "I didn't see Fred's meat and bread at MBS last night. Where should I eat instead if I'm not in the mood for barbecue?" I think you just come up to the press box, right? Get one of our box things. Yeah, our box. Exactly. At least get an ice cream. Get an ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. By the way, shout out to the the attendant working the ice cream machine last time, really filling up the cups like yeah. as full as possible. They don't mess around. They don't mess around at all. It's beautiful. Kevin asked, what do we need to get this offense going? A little bit of love. A little bit of love. A little bit of TLC, I think. I think if you just like garden it, give it a little bit of water, some sunlight. I think you might feel better about it. I think you might feel better about where it's going. Teotl Football asks, what the hell did I eat? Teotl, <laughs> you have to stop eating the little packets that come in, like the silica gel packets that come in boxes and stuff. Man, that's not food. <laughs> that's not food. Gosh. Tommy asks, does Heinze know he can use more than one or two subs per game? I think he does. I just I sure think, think he doesn't he want does. to. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Uh, Chris Hask, have NFTs already jumped the shark? And no, because I just got this really sick NFT of a guy actually jumping a shark, and it's the best one <laughs> in your face, Chris. Uh, Will Ask, summer beer of choice. I like I like Tritonia. I'm a big Tritonia person when it gets warm. 
Ooh, uh, you know, when, in in the heat, I always just love anything that's like ice cold with a lime in it. I know that's very basic, but yeah. And I also just got this tackle box, a Sweetwater tackle box that has an hazy IPA in it. That's really good. I like that it. Solid. That is solid. And that was rapid fire, a solid rapid fire segment, if you will. And that will pretty much wrap up the show, Joe. Anything else the folks need to know about? Any final thoughts before you get out of here? Nope, nothing really for me. Uh, a lot more coming later this week, so should have some some really good episodes. Um, and everybody, feel free to sign up at patreon.com slash final. Beautiful. You can find us on Twitter at J underscore Sam Jones, at J Patrick 200, and at Five Strike Final. Of course, check out Dairy Sauce Soccer. Any chance you get, check out 90.9 The Game for Joe coming on the radio and talking about Braves, talking about Atlanta United and everything like that. And of course, check out The Mothership. You can check out my newsletter that I have for them every day, every single day until I die. Um, <laughs> sign up for that. It's great. I love it. I love it. It is fun. Um, and we have a good time. Lots of other stuff going up on the mothership as well. Have a couple features and a couple pieces about Atlanta United on there right now. In fact, it's, yeah, it's really good stuff. Bless you. Thank you. That'll do it for five stripe final. We love you. We miss you. We'll see you soon. Bye all. for tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.